Let's just jump into this because this is a pure Jay's Journal table. We've got Chris Henderson, we've got Hayden Godfrey, and we've got Richard Burford to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'm going to start with you, Chris, because here we are coming hot off the heels of another gruesome Victoria Day massacre. These things are not unusual. It seems like the last few years, whenever there's been a holiday for any Ontarians to come out and enjoy Toronto Blue Jays baseball, it almost invariably ends up with a lopsided result. I think it was, what, 12-2 to 2 this afternoon. But the big story that seems to be emerging is the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just won AL Player of the Week, which is really awesome. The problem is after hitting 370 on this recent road trip and coming back home to a holiday event that's supposed to be about bringing out the attendance numbers, he wasn't in the lineup. What are your impressions of that? What are the Blue Jays doing? Is there a tone deafness here or what am I missing? Why wasn't Vlad Guerrero in the lineup for Victoria Day across Canada? Well, you know, I'll uh, I'll answer that in part with some of my own knowledge and part of acknowledging that we were having a bit of an off-air conversation about this. Um, you know, and it was, from what we understand, is that it was a scheduled off day, um, which, you know what, to be fair for the young man, he does he's going to need the odd day off here and there, regardless of how hot he is hitting. That said, I mean, to do it on a holiday Monday against a left-handed starter, I'm not really sure what the rationale was there or what, uh, you know, to, to me, that seems like kind of a no-brainer to get him in the lineup on that day, even if you got to DH him, whatever it is you want to do in order to keep him in there. But I, I, that makes no sense to me. And, and for the most part, I'm a Charlie Montoya fan, but uh, I didn't get that one. That didn't make sense. Well, to sort of, I mean, sort of piggyback off of what Chris said. So it's my understanding, actually, that that it was not fully Charlie Montoyo's decision. I, I believe this one came down from the front office. But, you know, regardless, the feelings remain the same. I mean, there is so little for casual fans to get excited about. I mean, the four the four of us in this call regularly watch Blue Jays baseball because we have a passion for the sport, we have a passion for the team, um, and we're able to to share that knowledge with a lot of people, which we're all very, very gracious for. Mm. Um, but if you're not in one of these situations where we have an audience to write about and, and, and we watch this team regularly, there's really not a lot to get excited about. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is one of those very, very few things. And I really like Dari's you know, use of the word tone deaf. It is tone deaf. I mean, this was the third highest attendance home game of the year after the home opener and Vladdy's debut. So the fact that he wasn't there uh, was quite disappointing. And if I were, you know, a, a, a paying customer for this team and, and you know, hold myself down to the dome, I, I'd i be pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys both summed it up pretty well. But at the end of the day, the Jays still lost 12-2. <laughs> I don't really think that a appearance by Vladdy would make it that much better for Jays fans because tonight, today was just essentially a slap. This was game two of Bucks versus Raptors, just on a baseball field. Hmm. Good analogy, except except for the part where the Raptors came back the very next game with some great players in their lineup, mm-hmm. some that might be underachieving, but we expect them to come out and play. I guess my problem with the decision, whether it was scheduled or not, and this was you know this is another reason why people love to visit JaysJournal.com because we update them on what's happening when it comes to certain trends or certain realizations, like the fact that no franchise in baseball suffered worse in the drop-off of attendance. What is it, 25% from where they were last year? Lower? Mm-hmm. I mean, Richard, when you when you see those kind of numbers and you see these kinds of decisions, my question to you is, is this going to be like a hibernation rebuild where the organization thinks it's on the moon and whatever happens on earth is irrelevant like are they going to be fine with the fact that by the time we hit august we might be down to eight or nine thousand a game 
I mean, I, I, I really hope not. And we've been seeing this around the entire game of baseball, that attendance has been declining. And at the end of the day, if a team can win and can win consistently, the fans are going to show up. It's a long baseball season. There's 81 uh, home games. The attendance is going to be down, especially because... The, it's so obvious that the Jays are going through a rebuild, that they're not trying to win, that there might be trades uh, coming in the next couple of months that will bring in more young pieces. So that that's that's kind of what the sport of baseball is becoming. You see it everywhere now in the game. That attendance is just continuing to plummet. And, I mean, I think the, the Jays have accepted that faith, and they're just going to try to quietly rebuild while the, the Leafs are going to the playoffs, the Raptors are going to the playoffs, and then hopefully in the next couple of years, when the prospects come into their own, hopefully the um, attendance just starts to climb up again. Yeah, and sorry, I don't mean to, to double back to what we were talking about previously, too, but I just kind of was stewing on the one thing that, that uh, Hayden said there. Um, you know, if in fact the front office is telling Montoya when to rest their players, I don't like that one little bit. And maybe, I don't know if that's commonplace or not, but I'm not, you know, I'm not used to hearing that sort of thing. And I was just kind of thinking about that and going, well, what the heck? Like, if, what the heck do you have a manager for other than choosing when to put mm-hmm. the bullpen guys in? If, if Atkins and those guys are going to be making those calls. Like, I don't know if that's the case. I, I, I take your word for it, Hayden, but, uh, but I don't like that at all if that is the case. Mm-hmm. If I can make it actually a very quick comment there. I don't know if it's the front office per se. I know most MLB teams have an analytics team or like a player development team that really tracks a player's fatigue. So using that um, ideology, that's why they use this as a rest day for Vladdy. I don't know. But I feel like this has been like an organizational decision to sit Vladdy for this game. I, I mean, I did want to address just something that, that Richard was saying, and I, and I do agree. It's a fascinating study in league-wide attendance. You know, the MLB is not is not getting as much viewers as they did at one point. That's that's deeply disappointing to a fan of baseball mm. as a whole that, that we all are. Um, but, but I do want to point to the Minnesota Twins as sort of the antithesis of that theory, where, mm. you know, the, they did not have a fan base that was non-existent before this year. They have gotten massive attendance numbers at Target Field. Granted, it's a mm. beautiful ballpark, um, but they have a good team. They went out and they got pieces. They got Marwin Gonzalez. They, they made their team better. The fan base was not non-existent. It was just dormant. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing here. You know, we all went to games. I know our friend Craig Borden refers to it as the Angry Bird era, the the, the, the black jerseys with the angry looking Blue Jay, mm-hmm. where you could go out in July and August and, you know, have 6,500, 7,000 7, people at the game. Um, and then all of a sudden you bring in guys like Donaldson and Tulowitzki and Price and you start mm-hmm. seeing 40, 41 on a regular day. I think mm-hmm. the fan base is there. And Richard, as you so perfectly alluded to, if the team wins almost in a sort of field of dreams-esque way if you build a winning team they will come Mm -hmm. and the thing is the team is committed to developing players right now they're not committed to winning and the fan base knows that so if the team is not committed to winning what's the point of coming out there especially if i mean ticket prices are still fairly expensive something that twins did i believe i think they have a section in their ballpark, which tickets are like $5 or something. I'm, not, I'm I would have to double check that, but I think that's something they did this season. So that in combination with them just playing well and bringing in the right pieces to compete, you, you can just see it translate over. It would be an interesting, just an interesting sort of, you know, brainstorm to think, mm-hmm. you know, the ticket prices are the same as they, as they were, but what could they do to, 
attract more fans with the subpar team. You know, the $5 Bud Light cans might have spiked it for a couple games, but, you know, there's not much there right now. I mean, I've always advocated, perhaps even slightly naively, for them to just bring back a guy like Jose Bautista, maybe even to spike attendance and interest very briefly. It might not be the best baseball move, but again, if you're a casual fan right now, there's not a lot that's convincing you to go down to the ballpark, let alone even turn on the TV and listen to the broadcast. So, I mean, yeah, the Twins might not be the, you know, the, the perfect example of something like that but i think it's just interesting that that the interest is almost non-existent and yes i mean richard you touched on this earlier but i firmly believe that the leafs playoff run and the raptors playoff run which is spectacularly exciting by the way there's not a lot of reason if you have a choice even if you're a really hardcore baseball fan i mean i'm not the world's biggest basketball fan but i would rather watch an exciting basketball team like the roger the the rogers Mm -hmm. like the raptors uh Mm -hmm. than watch the blue jays trot out quad a players Mm-hmm. For sure, and I completely agree with that. And there's just so many different things that just baseball as a sport has to do to just improve its attendance. Like for example, I went down for an Atlanta Braves game earlier in the year, and they built an entire village around their new stadium just to attract more people to make baseball more of like a just a day out event where you can go to the game, but you can also come out of, of the ballpark, go to a bar, go get drinks, go see like a performance or a movie, and that's kind of tough in Toronto. Um, so if there, if there's a way that Toronto, the Toronto Blue Jays can do something that's more engaging to the public, especially when their team is win is is losing, then you can you will see attendance go go up. And obviously, when a team just loses over and over again, it's, it's going to be tough to drive attendance. But there are other ways that the Jays could bring people into the game. You know, it's funny when I think of the expression "If you build it, they will come." I'm almost like mortified listening to how we've rationalized the fact that this is an organization that has no intention of relying on the fans to fulfill that simple mechanism, which is the more you invest and, and draw fan interest, the more likely people will come out and show you. And Hayden, to your point, you, you pose the rhetorical question, what can they do to generate interest? Well, for starters, don't sit Vladimir Guerrero Jr. after he's won AL Player of the, of the Week on a national holiday against the World Series champions and David Price. That's number one. So already you've got your own tools that you're refusing to use. Number two, Richard, to your point, it is decidedly depressing for me to listen to what other organizations like the Atlanta Braves are doing to address the fact that baseball is not just a visual uh, experience for the game, but it's for the ballpark. It's for the whole notion of going out and finding escapism in popcorn and Cracker Jacks and Peanuts. In, a, in the mm-hmm. kind of field of dreams where the, mm-hmm. the environment is top-notch because the arena has been invested in and because it's been renovated so it's fan-friendly. None of those things are happening in Toronto. And if we bring up mm-hmm. the whole buck beer hot dog bullshit, I've spoken to people who went to down to the Sky Dome when they wanted to take advantage of those promotions, and apparently it's an unmitigated bureaucratic mess. And so my question to you, and I'm going to direct this to Chris... What compelling reasons do you have to think that this organization is really moving forward if they treat the fans with this kind of disdain? Because you've seen rebuilds, Chris. You're old enough to remember what it was like when the Blue Jays weren't competing. But I'm sure you've never in your, in your, in your lifetime anticipated that it would be this bleak in terms of the attitude of the franchise to the long-suffering fans. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's throughout my lifetime, we've never seen kind of the idea of a complete teardown in this fat matter before. You know, it's, uh, 
you know, I, I guess I'm 35 years old now. And uh, as I have been a fan throughout my lifetime, I, mean, I basically came into fandom in the early, in late 80s, early 90s. I uh, saw them win the world championship. And from there, we never really had a period where this team was completely torn down right to the, you know, right down to the stud as you were. So it's it's kind of a weird philosophy for me to wrap my head around, and I think it's just one of those cases where this this front office and this ownership and and everything else has decided that they think that this is the right term, the right way to do, to build for the long term. And in the meantime, it's nothing but frustration for those of us that have, that uh, have to watch it, unless we choose to buy in. Now, I mean, I, I do my best to buy in, but I'm with you. There's a lot of days you watch the product on the field and want to bang your head when you're watching some of these guys out there. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, I, I think if I may add, um, I think that one of two things will happen over the next three, four, five years. And actually, Scott MacArthur from Sportsnet's Blue Jays Talk, I think, puts this in you know such a perfect way when responding to negative or positive Blue Jays fans. I think one of two things will happen with this franchise. Either Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Nate Pearson, Eric Pardino, uh, you know, Jordan Groshans, Alejandro Kirk, th- this entire extravagance of prospects will come up and will bring this team to the playoffs. And that's obviously the scenario that we hope is that all this player development that I am very confident in the organization, as Richard alluded to. You know, we all are confident in this organization's ability to bring up players. So if, if, if that's the case, that's one scenario. The other scenario, let's say it doesn't pan out. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. might win an MVP. He, he might be an all-star, but the team still doesn't get to the playoffs for whatever reason. This front office, as, as Scott has said multiple times, will stand judgment at some point. There will be accountability you know, you, you will at some point have to look at this front office and say, this is objectively what this has brought. They have brought success or they have not brought success. And from there, make a decision as to whether or not this regime will continue or whether it will be severed and other individuals will be brought in. But as many people constantly say, and I agree with this notion, that time is not now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're, you know we're all making sort of too early assumptions, but you know, that time to judge them on a larger scale is not now. If we're talking mm-hmm. two, three years down the road, then everyone's, you know, comments about the front office are completely valid. I am completely frustrated, but I, I not to be not to be typically hopefully optimistic, but I think we do have to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you do realize, Hayden, that this is theoretically or technically, this is year four. So Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have had basically now three full years going into this one to make their imprint on the team and can you honestly say that they deserve to be admired or or, or, or to have our hats tipped to them to, to simply say that hey you're really good at calling talent and bringing it up but what about their attitudes with the fan what about the fact that there is no way if it's an Alex Anthopoulos run ship that we see the treatment of the fans by the way this organization has chosen the positions they've taken I mean, it's really draconian. All you have to do is go on social media and you can see how frustrated Blue Jays fans are. And I read it and I absorb it and I think to myself, why can't they be a little bit more user-friendly? Why can't they understand that securing loyalty when you're rebuilding is very important? Because when you do start to contend, you want you want to take along the, the, the perennial hardcore fans, not just the bandwagon jumpers. Because it's the mm-hmm. hardcore fans who will show up on a bleak August night when you're 35 games under 500, 
but say 18,000 people show up because they see, like you said, the Cabin Bigios of the world and the Bobuchets and the Vlad Guerrero, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Socrates Britos and the Teoscar Hernandezes, which just drive me bloody insane because these are minor league players and people are paying a major league price to see a minor league team every single day. That's got to piss you off. No, it, it does. I think there's been very few points of shining brilliance in which the front office has taken ownership in a really, really strong way. The Roberto Osuna trade, there was pushback from the fan base and they got rid of him. They traded him because it was the moral thing to do. You know, that this franchise does not stand for something like that. Uh, they've brought in character players that a lot of us do like. I completely agree. It's been too long and something needs to start happening fast. That point at which we judge them is coming faster and faster, I think, than many people realize. I think there have been those points of, of, of ownership and strength. I just think they haven't nearly been as strong as we'd like them to be and haven't been nearly as frequent as we'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. And if I can just follow up on that point, we got to remember that uh, Atkins and Shapiro came in and kind of the team that they adopted wasn't in any good shape. They, they, they had to take on a bunch of tough contracts they had to get rid of Tulowitzki they had to get rid of an aging Russell Martin Marco Estrada was getting hurt there's it was an aging roster if you looked at the prospect pool it wasn't that good in like three four years ago because Alex Antopoulos moved a bunch of guys before a chance to win but I mean you can't really blame them because they came on on a team that just wasn't ready to win and they had a closing window and I mean what can you really expect from them and the fact is, no matter what Atkins, Shapiro, and that organization does at this point, if they continue to lose, there's nothing really that is going to show a franchise that they're really trying until they win. And something that just should be uh, focused on with what the, the current management is doing is they're focusing on developing their players. And I actually wrote a, a, a little article for um, Ari Shapiro on his website talking about how player development is a new arms race has not really talked about in baseball and that's what the jays are focusing on the reason they're not spending a ton of money right now on the main roster is simply because they're not ready to compete there's no real reason to spend money to take on another bad contract and it seems like that's what a lot of jays fans really want is to have that big marquee player right now to excite the fans but it's just not the right time now so what the current management is doing is they're doing the right things on the minor league level hopefully it pans out and then once it pans out which i hope it will and based on the talent we have i think it will then it's going to be time for the jays to really spend their money and bring in those right players to help put put your team over the edge and help you win and help you compete I got to agree with half of what you said, Rich, and I think Chris is probably going to be siding with me on the first half, which is I I can't accept that they arrived and inherited a team that uh, wasn't ready to win or one that they felt they were handcuffed with. Because if you recall, 2016 in particular was an opportunity for the Blue Jays to not only keep that window open, but heading into 2017, think about it. If you're Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, you've got an, a talent young nucleus of Roberto Asuna, Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, and Devin Travis. You've got big names like Josh Donaldson and Troy Tillowitzki and Russell Martin. Mm-hmm. You, you've got a lot of momentum going your way, but at some point, a conscious decision was made to not only become frugal and shave down the payroll, but not rely mm-hmm. on what you mentioned, which is the importance of picking up name marquee players Mm -hmm. so that way you can fill out the stadium and quote rebuild and Mm -hmm. compete i think what happened was with 2017 and 2018 they realized that they realized that model is dependent 
on players mm -hmm. living up to their expectations. And mm -hmm. so I will concede that a lot of players underachieved, but that's what having executive management is about, guys. It's mm -hmm. about making the right moves at the right time. Nobody expected Masai Ujiri, Ujiri to go off course and sacrifice mm -hmm. DeMar DeRozan for this Kawhi Leonard gambit. But, you know, at the time it happened, there was a great deal of revulsion. There was a, a great deal of angst. But now, of course, all you have are people saying, thank God that happened. So, Chris, when you look at the Blue Jays and you contrast it to the risk that the basketball team was ready to incur and the way that the, the hockey team is developing young talent and trying to stay competitive every year, could the Blue Jays realistically get to a point where they take so long to compete again that there's just no longer the desire, the interest from fans who are now too preoccupied with their hard-earned disposable income dollars on better sporting franchises like the Maple Leafs or the Toronto Raptors? Uh, I'll give you a short answer to that question. No, I mean, I, th I think it really boils down to if you build a winner, they will come. And as much as I hate that, and I, as much as I think ownership is aware of that, I really do think that's the honest-to-God truth. But as far as the ownership goes, there's three points I really want to make. Um, the first being that as far as, like, you know, what they've had in an opportunity and, and what kind of roster and stuff they inherited. I agree in a sense that they had a, they had a roster they were locked into as far as financial and contract control and everything else. So they, in a, in a sense, they were handcuffed in a long term. They would have had to have been very smart and savvy in order to continue that window. I think there was an opportunity to do that, but they completely missed it. And, and where my biggest issue with them has always been is that I felt like they sat on the fence both in 2016 and 17, uh, you know, they had a roster that they could have either, especially in 2017, they had a roster that they could have either pushed forward and tried to compete with really hard, or they could have torn it down for the direction they were going. And instead they kind of sat in the middle. And as a result, we stalled out and lost a year or two of development for this team and franchise. And granted, there weren't the prospects in the system that there are now that, so it wouldn't have made as much of a difference, but maybe you could have brought them in if you traded some of those guys earlier on than, than they ultimately did. Um, going forward, I think that they're going to get, they're going to be, I think we can judge them fairly by the end of next season. Uh, you know, I've got my thoughts about them, some, some good, some bad at this point already, but, um, you know, by the time we get to the end of next season and we see what decisions they've made, what, uh, how some of these players have panned out, then I think we'll have a better sense of if they're still the right front office to keep, go forward. But I think the real key for me is, as far as my third point, and if there's a point of frustration, is that I don't mind watching guys that are developing that are going to turn into pieces of a rebuild. Like take Danny Jansen, for example. He's hitting below 200. He's struggled offensively. You know, obviously he's got to focus on defense as a first-year full-time catcher, and I, and I get that, and I'm willing to accept that. But what it, what it makes it really tough for me as a fan especially is watching so many games where, where Socrates Brito is getting starts, where 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 Teoscar Hernandez is getting starts, or even when Billy McKinney. I mean, McKinney's been better lately, but I don't think he's a long-term piece. So to watch them run him out on a consistent basis, for me, like guys like that, that whole outfield, with the exception of maybe Grichuk, I just kind of shake my head. That's, um, a, that's a perfect yeah. point, Chris. I, if, if I may just, just jump in, the whole thing is that you know you don't mind, as you mentioned. Jansen, I mean, before the Chicago series, looked hopeless at the plate. Um, but I, in all seriousness, did not care. Uh, you know, he'd still watch, and and he was a he Agreed, still yeah. is a great a great a great defensive catcher, and that's what he has to do. I don't care if uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to be 
subpar for a year. I don't even care if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be subpar for three or four months. You have to put them out there and just play. And you're going to get spots of brilliance where, you know, Trent Thornton had three or four fantastic starts. The rest of them maybe not so good. But yes, you know, the, 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 the point of frustration with fans Socrates Brito was in DFA limbo by two teams who are currently below 500. Um, you know, Alan Hansen was not even good enough to make the 40-man roster of a San Francisco Giants team that has been really disappointing. So what makes the front office think that those guys are going to be valuable contributors to a major league roster in Toronto? And, and I firmly believe, and I normally like to agree with a lot of the things they say, the tools that they speak of that Socrates Brito had – and I think Keegan Matheson put this brilliantly on Twitter. Uh, they may be excited about Socrates Brito's tools, but Brito's tools were bought at Dollarama. I'm going to have to add the <laughs> nice pause analogy. break yeah. afterwards with some post-production because while I appreciate that <laughs> quote, I think it's such a sad commentary on the fact that, look, all three of you guys understand the mechanics of payroll management and all three of you understand how to evaluate talent but how can you justify spending $65 million on your payroll? Because really, if you take away what they're paying Jamie Garcia and Troy Tulowitzki and Russell Martin, you are watching $65 million worth of payroll salaries on the field for a major league experience. And to me, that is an insult to the fans' intelligence. Mm -hmm. Because at least if they were investing in players that were credible major league players, or even better to your point, Hayden, you know, where is Lord Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? Why were they so quick? And and we saw it. He was struggling legitimately. But the fact that they put him down in the minors and brought up a burrito to take those at-bats, or the fact that they stuck with Teoscar about two and a half weeks too long than they should have because it was great spring and the fact that he's become such an, you know, an artisan with the sunflower showers, you know, that he does that nobody likes but him. I mean, it's just laughable to me that here we are basically rationalizing what is nothing more than a campaign of frugality by the upper brass. It's really simple. Rogers told them, we don't want to spend any serious money with any long-term commitments. Rebuild this thing, and maybe in three, five, seven years, if it's worth anything, we'll try to turn it into something that's exciting and marketable again. It feels like it's a hobby for a big telco, and it has for a very long time. But I think it's very unfair for the generational fan like myself or Chris or, or you, Hayden and Rich, because we're all kind of sub, you know, separated by five to ten years. And yet, like, the longer memories get, the sadder it is to see that this is the way the, the front office is treating the fans. Let's, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. Let's talk about what we should consider with the only two legit real trading chips that have been in the media over the last few weeks. Because one is struggling... And, and venting in public, and the other one can't seem to keep his hand in good shape. I, I want to start with you, Rich. What are you expecting out of this Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez melodrama? Like, where is this all going to end, and what would you like to see the Blue Jays do when it comes to getting real value for these two horribly inconsistent mm. human beings? Well, a week ago, if you asked me this question, I would think at least one of them was going to get traded in the next month or two. But obviously now with Aaron Sanchez's finger problems, you got to ask, like, what are you really going to do moving forward? Because you can trade both pitchers, but who's going to step in and really fill those innings? Like right now, we're seeing Edwin Jackson come in out of nowhere Edwin to fill Jackson. in innings. And Sean Reed Foley tried. And while I still am kind of a fan of Sean Reed Foley, he struggled on a major league level. So it's easy to say that the Jays have to trade away all these big name, big name players on their roster, but you got to fill those innings somehow, and there's still a, still a 162 game season, and you have to figure that out. 
Um, I mean, if Aaron Sanchez does get healthy, I can see one of them getting traded. I think you need to keep at least one of those guys to just fill, just have a guy in your rotation who can come in every fifth day and give you those innings. But other than that, it's at this point, it's kind of tough to see what the Jays are going to do. And another thing to keep in mind is the Jays have a ton of prospects in their minor leagues in their minor league system like Nate Pearson's a great pitching prospect Pardino Klofenstein there's a ton of talent here so I wouldn't say that the Jays are desperate for more prospects because I think when it comes down to it and in a couple of years I don't think the Jays are going to use all these names that are littered in their farm system and some of them are going to turn into trade ships at this point I think the Jays have to just focus on getting those innings somehow and maybe by the trade deadline if both guys are healthy and both guys are pitching out of their minds you might have to consider trading at least one of them yeah i agree with you um you know i was kind of thinking when as was i was watching sanchez kind of look stronger as the season was going on i thought okay maybe finally he's put together a long enough stretch that that he'll tantalize a few GMs around the, around the game but watching him even if it's a minor thing even if it's a minor like even if you know they're talking you might not even miss a start but but uh, that's just going to what's what scares me about that is that it's going to throw so much caution to to any team that's interested in acquiring him you know we heard uh, I heard Scott talking about it uh, on Blue Jays talk yesterday he was talking about if he would consider maybe being a bullpen piece for a, a team down the stretch. And it's like, okay, well, that's interesting that we're even asking that question. But why are we asking that question? Because it's really hard to determine what kind of value Sanchez has right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if he can stay healthy until the all-star break, I think you got to trade him. Because I, mm-hmm. I don't know when his value is ever going to be as high as if he can stay healthy mm-hmm. for months. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, think, I – Yeah, sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, well um, – I was just going to say, I've always been of the belief that Sanchez will most likely be easier for this front office to part with than Stroman. Um, I do put a decent amount of that weight in the fact that Sanchez is a Boris client and, and Scott Boris and the Toronto Blue Jays on a Venn diagram of financial flexibility normally do not fall in the same section. Um, but also the finger is alarming. And I think a lot of people in and around the Toronto Blue Jays are getting very tired with the Aaron Sanchez finger saga. Um, you know, there's a difference between a guy like Matt Shoemaker who has five different injuries and a freak torn ACL. Uh, that's, you know, that happens and there's to a certain extent nothing that can be done about that. But somebody who's dealing with finger blisters, which almost everyone experiences, like it's a career-ending catastrophe, is something very, very difficult to grapple with. I also think you have the fact that, that Stroman is pitching really, really good. It's going to be difficult for the front office to justify giving those innings to somebody who doesn't deserve it, especially when Stroman's pitching so well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to see what happens with a guy like Barucki when he comes up because I believe he's already starting to throw um, off flat ground. And just hit him getting back into the rotation is going to be very important and it's going to determine what the Jays do at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's going to be really helpful. I mean, Barucki started to throw, I think I read this week, he was throwing from flat ground at 90 feet and, and Clayton Richard had his first start in Buffalo. So mm-hmm. at least they do have a couple guys coming back. But on the other hand... Mm-hmm. Looks like uh, Buckholes is going to be out for a while. You know, I was, I think he didn't he have something wrong with his back or something mm-hmm. now too. And so, I mean, he might be out for a while. So, I, the, further to Richard's point earlier, you're right. Somebody's going to have to eat these innings, and for that reason alone, I don't know that. Well, I mean, whatever. They've shown that they don't. That this season is obviously not a priority. I shouldn't. I yeah, I changed my mind mid thought, but but uh, it will be interesting to see how you know maybe maybe when it comes to making a trade that they if they trade a Marcus Stroman to, to another team maybe they take on a veteran pitcher in return that 
mm-hmm. that he's taking their spot in the rotation and upgrading somewhere else. Like maybe mm-hmm. that's the kind of scenario that they have to do in order to get through this season. But yeah. even that's uh, thinking that out loud is kind of a sad commentary in itself. And I think you kind of have to in any trade take on a veteran pitcher because the Jays are not just not going to be able to survive the rest of the season. Obviously, it would be good to get a, one or two prospects, but. I mean, Sanchez doesn't really warrant a great return because of his finger issues. Justin Smoke is another guy. But we remember what happened when Yonder Alonso was traded after he had that explosive season. He didn't. A first baseman doesn't really get that much in, in return. So right. Stroman seems like the guy who was going to fetch the greatest return. But at the same time, you need someone who can fill in right now because the Jays are going to be desperate for innings, especially if Baraki doesn't come back when, when we need him to. What if Clayton Richard doesn't pitch as well as he should? And I mean, Last year, yes, he didn't look good. The year before that, he didn't look good. So there's no real trust there that he's going to be able to step in and give yeah, us the innings that we need to survive. So it's easy to yeah. say that we have to trade these guys. But then we're like, shit, we, just, we have Edwin Jackson throwing right now, and he's getting lit up. Yeah. So. Well, and who's to say that Trent Thornton can make 30 starts in the year either? I mean, that's mm-hmm. – he's been he's, – pillars of the rotation so far and eventually the kid's arm's going to get tired i mean uh yeah hopefully you know in in a if ross atkins and and the rest of the front office are lucky then hopefully guys like sean reed foley and jordan romano and jacob wag is it smack or smack i always get it wrong um Mm -hmm. you know hopefully guys like that can can turn their seasons around because all three of those Mm -hmm. guys have been terrible in, in buffalo so far this year and if they can come up and at least make a few starts, that'll certainly help. But it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a long season as far as mm-hmm. the rotation is concerned. Exactly. And that's the thing. If these guys don't perform, it kind of puts the management at a disadvantage. They can't really do anything because they have no one to step in and take those innings. But, I, I mean, I have a quick quick question for, for pretty much everyone in the room right now. Earlier in spring training, we heard Marcus Stroman pretty much go off about the front office not offering him contract extension and, and being quite vocal about his disdain for the way that the front office is operating. And at the time, a lot of folks in and around the organization said, you know, this could be the last straw. No matter how well Stroman pitches, the team is going to trade him. You know, not my words, just words that were said at the time. Do you guys think that – that now that he's pitching so well and that's in a little bit of the rearview mirror, do you think the front office even takes that into account when deciding whether or not to trade him? I, I think Stroman has really done everything he can to show that he warrants a contract extension. And I, I understand that there's been a lot of anger towards the, the new management of, Sh- of Shapiro and Atkins, but we got to remember that Shapiro was around for the Cleveland Indians and he built a really, really good team in a very small market. So, he sh- I, I think a guy like Shapiro should get a lot of leeway because, especially because of the clout that he has in the game. Um, as far as Stroman's anger, I mean, he didn't he didn't pitch well last year, so the, him coming out in spring training asking for for a contract a contract extension it doesn't really make sense because he didn't perform. Now that he's performing, I'm assuming that I'm hoping the Jays have some sort of discussion with him, and I think it kind of puts the Jays in a fairly good position now with Stroman because one, they can either give him an extension so you could lock down a pretty solid starting pitcher, not a top of the line starting pitcher, but a guy who can really fill fill in the second or third spot in the rotation. Or if he continues to pitch like this and he continues to stay healthy, it's a pretty valuable trade ship. I think you're infinitely more optimistic than you should be about Marcus Stroman, Rich. I think the relationship between Marcus Stroman and the Blue Jays is all but broken and splintered because 
any executive is ultimately measured by his success of how he deals with his players and cultivates the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I was struck by the fact, Hayden, that earlier in the round table, you brought up the fact that they had to make a moral decision with Roberto Osuna. Now, guys, I looked up Roberto's Osuna stats yesterday, and my eyes almost came out of my head because he's having not just a career year, he is showing why, when Shapiro and Atkins arrived, if there was one player you could say was their most valuable asset, it was Roberto Osuna, right? I don't think we have to argue that. He was, what, 2021 20, when they arrived in town, or 22 years old, and it was obvious that he was already an established super closer. And because of what happened, the Blue Jays decided to, again, make that moral decision, which, quite frankly, shocks me, because this isn't an organization known for making really moral decisions. They're all economic decisions. So my question is this. Why would they want to stay here? Like, what's to stop them from both leaving in a couple of years? This clearly hasn't worked out the way it was planned. You can't tell me that they expected to come to the Toronto Blue Jays and within a year of getting here become a bottom seller dwelling team. Mm-hmm. Especially for a guy who's a former two-time executive of the year and and was and built the Cleveland franchise. I mean, do you honestly see Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins here beyond a couple of years if they continue to just be a, a 60-win team and promises of a rebuild? Why would they want to work for an organization like this? Well, I guess the next two seasons are really going to tell us what happens and what their faith with the team, what their fate with the team is. If the team doesn't perform and this whole rebuild doesn't pan out according to plan, they're going to be gone whether they like it or not. So, yeah, to answer and, that question, I just say time, time is going to tell us. And, and, and you're right about one thing. I mean, we have to be fair, right, Richard? Like the mm-hmm. the level of underachievement to me has been on par with the number of injuries because if there's anything mm-hmm. that's kind of been synonymous with Blue Jays baseball in the last three years in the city it's injured players and players who don't earn their keep is that is that a fair mm-hmm. characterization Hayden yeah I mean I would say so to a certain degree and this has always been my philosophy with sports is that you know it's not Charlie Montoyo's fault that Teoscar Hernandez was striking out a lot you know nor was it Mark Shapiro's fault that Aaron Sanchez dropped a suitcase on his finger right so you know there have been questionable decisions you know of that there is no doubt but to a certain extent there is not all of the responsibility goes to the front office and I know that it sounds like I'm being sort of a, a Rogers pundit in this respect but, but it, by the way isn't that the whole point of a front office aren't they the ones who should be shouldering the blame when things don't work out and fans are left mm-hmm. with a, a team that underperforms I guess I mean I I mean what I'm what I mean to say is that the onus does not fall on them when the players underperform the onus falls on them when the players underperform and they don't do anything about it which is what they've been showing right so aaron sanchez hasn't panned out the way they want to and teoscar hernandez and you know kevin pillar didn't go the way they want to and it's not their fault that kevin pillar had an obp of 290 right but it's their fault when they left it until this year to make a change and i think that's sort of where the the discretion lies with a lot of blue jays fans right they can't control the pro they can't control the actual hard product on the field. They can't control what the players do on the field, but they can control who gets to the field. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with that point. It's up to the organization and the man- and upper management to put the team in a position to win, something they've struggled to do. But the on-field product is just suffering because, I mean, Marcus Stroman had an off year last year. Aaron Sanchez continues to get injured. Devin Travis looked like a 300 hitter, but, I mean, he couldn't stay healthy. Marco Estrada last year, he didn't pitch as well as anybody hoped. We moved J.A. Happ. I mean, Morales was supposed to be this power hitter, but he never really panned out to Oscar Hernandez. It's a huge list. Pretty solid. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that's the point. It's a very huge list of players that just haven't been able to carry their weight in the lineup 
or in their rotation. And at that point, you have to look at the players themselves and really decide if a change is needed. Chris, why don't you get the the last word in here? Because I I had a follow-up question, but I think we've covered it, which is how much of the blame goes to the front offers versus simply slack-jawed yokel underachieving baseball players in a game that's become increasingly one-dimensional. Which is it? Well, I'll go back to a point I made earlier, is that I do agree that there are certain things that the front office had little control of. They inherited some bad contracts like Troy Tulowitzki, and they had you know scenarios like that. Goes back to I, I agree with you guys, you guys 100. They you have to make a decision based on what you're seeing on the field. And if there's a few guys that they really missed on having a chance to get a huge return that could have that could have sped up this rebuild. You know, you look at a guy like Josh Donaldson, also you got Julian Merriweather. Who knows? Maybe he turns into an asset at some point. But he's I don't remember anything about him since basically the trade went down. So at that point, you think, oh wow. You look at some of the returns that guys got. You know, like Arales Chapman brought back Labor Torres to the Yankees, and mm-hmm. you look at those kind of scenarios and think, if the Blue Jays could have maximized those opportunities, I think that's the part where I'm the most disappointed in this front office. Mm-hmm. That said, there's enough minor league talent here that I think everybody could all be looking at back at this as like a sacrificial period in the history of this franchise if everything goes according to plan. But once again, we just rattled off a big list of ifs and. So who knows if Vladimir Guerrero continues to be this this generational hitter he looks like if Bo Bichette becomes his his Batman to, or his Robin to his Batman if if Nate Pearson stays healthy if Eric Cardinio turns into a star I think there's enough enough pieces there that that should are leaning towards the if should be yet but uh, who knows two years from now we could be looking back and going wow did they mess everything up what a disaster or we could be looking back and going you know mm-hmm. what whatever it was a year we had to eat it for a while. Mm-hmm. And if I can make a quick comment on the Josh Donaldson thing, Josh Donaldson was hurt, and he wasn't producing at the play when he wasn't hurt. So it's really tough to trade him for a ton of a ton of prospects. The thing with Araldis Chapman was he threw 103 miles per hour, and he was striking out everybody, which is why a team like the Cubs that were on the doorstep of a championship decided to invest in, in a guy like Chapman and give up a guy like Glaber Torres. Josh Donaldson was 33, struggling with calf issues and hamstring issues. And, I mean, he also had dead arm. It's really cool when your third baseman can make a routine throw from third to first. And I think the, what the Jays, where the Jays are at right now is they have enough prospects that they can really put together a really good team in a couple of years, as well as use a couple of those prospects to trade and get players that can really help them win. So... Like I said earlier, I think it's going to be telling what happens with this organization and this front office in a couple of years. For sure. And if I, you know, just to uh, counter that too there, it, my, my my point is they probably should have traded him in the offseason before he was hurt for that entire year or, or you know, earlier mm-hmm. even potentially. If uh, that's where I think they really missed the window was it that they, but, you know, I really feel like they sat on the fence by making decisions like signing Kendris Morales. You know, mm-hmm. it just, uh, that was just kind of a year... If I may borrow a phrase from my father, just either shit or get off the pot, young man. And uh, I feel like they just sat there and didn't decide to either shit or get off the pot. They just continued to wait. Well, you always seem to come up with the name for any roundtable that I use when I'm like advertising on Twitter. And I love that you use the phrase sacrificial period. Because I immediately thought of like Molaram and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where the Blue Jays fans are the ones having their hearts ripped out because we have to endure this. But... You know, we, we covered a lot of things that revealed how angsty we are. What we'll do for the next show is talk more about some of this great minor league talent because it is legitimate. I know all three of you, you're not paying lip service. When you tell the, the audience that, hey, 
listeners, we have great stuff on the horizon. Then I guess all we have left to do now is to come up with enough hot air that we can bide our time to keep people interested enough whenever that talent finally matures. Let's quickly go around the table, do some shameless plugs. Start with you, Hayden. What are you working on and where can people find you on social media? So you can find me on on social media that on Twitter at Hayden Godfrey uh, with two Y's because uh, Hayden Godfrey is a uh, Olympic cyclist from New Zealand who stole all of my handles and he has right to do so. He's accomplished more than I have thus far. Um, as for what I'm working on lately, I've, I've been you know had the, the immense pleasure of working uh, with Jesse Goldberg Strasler of the Lansing Lugnuts, uh, contributing to their digital content. Um, as I'm sure a lot of Blue Jays fans are aware, the Lugnuts. You know, the same with the Dunedin Blue Jays, New Hampshire Fisher Cats and Buffalo Bisons put some tremendous uh, games together. They're nice little stadiums and, you know, the folks that run them are as honest as can be. So uh, check out some of the Lansing Lugnuts content. It's tremendous. There's some great players. Um, and as always, find my uh, my musings on Jays Journal. Oh, many, many, many musings worth many reading musings. on Jays Journal. <laughs> And uh, by the way, this will probably make you all excited. I'm holding in front of me an autographed, a personalized copy of The Baseball Disorders by Jesse Goldberg Strasler. And I'll be giving it away tonight at areshapiro.ca. People will be able to subscribe for a chance to win this. So I think you should enter this. I think you'd enjoy your own personalized copy, unless he's already done it for you. <laughs> yeah, he well, I mean, I, all I know is that, you know, I'm sure I don't need to sing his praises on here, but but everyone in this circle already knows his immense prowess as a broadcaster. And I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, really thankful to be able to work with him. Richard, let's turn to you and tell me about your prowess. What have you been up to lately and uh, where can we find your work? Sure. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Richard Burfs. I'm doing a ton of pitching biomechanics research over at Brock University. I'm hoping to finish up my grad program in the next couple of months. Other than that, um, I'm a scouting director for Evolution Metrics. We're doing a ton of work uh, right up until the draft, working with uh, MLB teams, trying to get them as much video and data on amateur prospects as we can. Um, I'm also working on my uh, top 100 draft prospects list right now. Hopefully that will be out in the next couple of weeks. And that's really it on my end. Thank you for having me on. Well, you do great work, man. You keep it up. And it's always a pleasure to see to see your work and, and get your contributions on my website as well from time to time. Let's turn to the man, the myth, the legend, the site expert at Jay's Journal himself, Chris Henderson. What is going on in your life and what else do the listening audience need to know about you? Oh, you don't need to hear what's going on in my life. I'll just keep you based. Uh, you know, check out, as always, go to Jay's Journal. You know, I'm, I'm doing generally doing a daily contribution, at least there. And we've got a great little staff that's uh, always, always coming up with some quality work. You can check me out at baseball four brains on Twitter. That the four is uh, the numerical one, so baseball number four brains. And uh, yeah, just always keeping keeping up with this team through the good and the bad, and uh, or the good and the ugly, rather, I should say. Yeah, some good, a little bit uh, bad, and lots of ugly. But tomorrow's a new day, and I appreciate the three of you taking the time to talk baseball here on this Jays Journal Roundtable. You have been listening to Hayden Godfrey, Richard Burfer and Chris Henderson. I'm Ari Shapiro. Thanks for listening.